0: Hello and welcome to the Hindu Business Line podcast. I'm your host, Mohammad Rayan. The 16th edition of the Jaipur Literature Festival is all set to begin from tomorrow, the 19th of January, and until the 23rd at Portal Clark's The organizers will be hosting over 250 speakers from across the globe, many of whom are winners of major awards such as the Nobel, the Booker, International Booker, Pulitzer, Sahitya Academy, Bailey Guilford, Pen American Literary Awards, and many more. The festival is also displaying over 20 Indian and 14 international languages. Business Line spoke to the author, historian and the festival co-director, William Darnimple to hear what the audience can expect from this year's GLS. So tune in to listen to our conversation. William, thank you so much for joining us today. Here's my first question. What's exciting about GLF this year and what makes it
1: your best yet? What is exciting about JLF always is it's a fantastic combination of different things coming together, I think. First of all, the location Jaipur is just somewhere amazing to be at this time of year. It's cool in the morning, it's cool in the evening, it's perfect weather in the afternoons, it's not raining. And even if you don't spend every minute at the festival, there are so many other wonderful things to do in and around Jaipur, and it's just such a gorgeous place to be at the end of January. Secondly, there's this fantastic atmosphere, which is something indefinable, and very few festivals have it. I've just come back from the Calicut Festival, the lit Festival. I have to say that had it. It's on the beach, and there were lots of young people, and everyone was excited. And I'm, that's the only other place I've seen it in India, where, you, where something reaches an ignition point. It's like something coming to the boil, a kettle boiling, and you, know, and you move from, from the water just being still to suddenly bubbles appearing. Jalef is like that. And there's kids everywhere. The audience is incredibly young. Apparently, there was a survey, most of our audiences are under 25, and they're thrilled to be there. Two thirds of the audience that are deeply engaged with literature are at every session. Every time a major author appears, it's full to bursting. Sometimes people swinging off trees and on balconies and doing things to get a glimpse of the person speaking. But it's always full, even for first time writers that don't have a big following. And it's this palpable sense of, of anticipation. You know, the people that come along just to kind of watch, and there's always about a fifth of the audience that's there in their Dior sunglasses that probably don't read a book in their lives but are still there. And that's fine too, because, you know, I'd rather they came to me than hang out in the mall. So. <laughs> but the real reason, and of course the reason we're doing it, is that we have consistently, every year, pulled in the greatest writers from India and the greatest writers in the world, and we brought them together. Yeah. And it's that knitting, you know, whenever we have a major foreign writer, we try to find a perfect counterpart in indirect. For example, this year, just to give you an example, I, something that I was arranging and thinking about this morning, we have an amazing cutting-edge scientist this year called Merlin Sheldrake, who's an extraordinary guy who's been working with mushrooms and how mushrooms trick us by their psychedelic properties and encourage us to cultivate them and spread their spores. Just like they encourage ants to spread their spores and then they do terrible things to the ants and they crawl to the top of trees and, and terrible things spread out of their heads. But mushrooms are in control is Mel Merlin's idea and how the connection between the natural world does. And we paired him with Janice Perriot, whose novel has similar themes. So you have a great foreign writer, a great writer of non-fiction coming together with a great Indian writer of fiction. That's the kind of thing we try and do. It's that knitting together. Of, of these different worlds, which have never been separated, but they could always do with being more closely aligned. So,
0: during our conversation, William also spoke about the lineup of authors who are taking
1: part in the festival. We just have every year the great authors of that year. So, this year we've got the Nobel Prize winner, Abdul Razak Ghana,
0: mm-hmm.
1: on his first trip to India.
0: Wow.
1: We've got the Booker winner, Shehan Karnataka, who's a regular at JLF, but they came last year as well with mm. an earlier edit of his book. But now he's won the Booker with the English version. And so he's back again. Gitanjali Shri, who won the International Booker. We've got yeah. a couple of Pulitzer winners. We've got a whole garland of Booker winners, including Marlon James, Bundy Nevaristo. We've got Isri and Namita Gokli, our co-director, both Sahitya Academy Award winners. We've got the entire shortlist of the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction, including Anna Kay, who's the daughter of John Kay, who's a longtime writer about India. Catherine Rundle of All Souls College Oxford, who won this year's Bailey Gifford with a book on John Donne. And we have Johnny Friedland on The Escape Artist of Auschwitz. I'd say a lucky thing is because we have this reputation for being fantastic hosts and lay on a good party, the writers come and they know they're going to have a good time. Because we have the greatest writers and that fusion of a very excited bunch of writers, a very excited audience, just as I say, this this sort of... Palpable feeling of excitement. Plus, or just Rajasthan in all its glory. You know, we have this amazing session every year at Amer Fort. We have Manganiyas and Langas playing every day in the music stage. We have all that Rajasthan can throw at you in terms of color and noise and music. The whole combination is working hard during the day with this incredible level of intellectual fizz. I think we've got the the peak of British academia is All Souls College. I think we've got ten fellows of all souls coming this year, we've got seven Harvard professors, fully attended Harvard professors. It's like you know a free super university opening its gates and anyone can turn up. And that's a great thing anywhere in the world because this sort of thing in London would cost 25 quid ticket for a single session Correct. for the cheapest seats. Hmm. And people slightly take it for granted here. <laughs> but it, it it is an unusual thing that writers of this caliber speak for free. That's and it. the other thing is that because we're free we tell the writers that we're a free festival. We haven't got huge budgets, and you know, and they don't. We don't pay anyone a fee. They come for the fun they're going to have, and it's a different model from a more commercial festival in the West, where the, the punters are paying tickets to come in, and the writers are being paid to perform. In a sense, it's all done for free here, which again produces its own dynamic and its own. Uh, sensation of inclusivity. You know, the writers mingle with the crowds. In the early days, we didn't even have a writer's lounge for, and they always had to sit in the chai stalls with everyone else. Now we do have a writer's lounge, but they still choose to mingle and mix. <laughs> and we try and, you know, there's no reserved seating. Uh, so uh, there was a famous occasion when the chief minister was sitting on the floor and someone oh, said, the chief, the chief minister is sitting on the floor. Well, can, can no one give up their seat for her? So some sycophant said. And uh, Sanjoy, our producer, replied, that she should have come earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't get that anywhere else in India, you know.
0: Fantastic! I stood
1: there the whole time. My my little secret festival tip to anyone who wants to get the best seats is bring a pile of newspapers. There's always free newspapers being given as you walk in grab four or five copies or whatever uh, whatever <laughs> is being on offer and sit on it and and then sit at the front in front of the in front of the actual seats just sit on the ground if it's damp the, the, the newspapers will sort that out and uh, and you get the best seat in the house that's my tip pretty <laughs> but it's that kind of democratic atmosphere the, the fact that people are knowing they're going to have a lot of fun but it's also the greatest minds on earth it's that mix of high and low i think that's that's unique to the festival
0: William also spoke about the themes
1: and different sessions the audience can look forward during the LID Fest. In terms of themes, so in fiction, we've got this year's Nobel Prize winners, Booker winners, Bernadine Evaristo, another Booker winner. I didn't mention her earlier. We've got the, woman, the winner of the Women's Prize, Ruth Zeki, And we have Jamal Jung Kuchai, who's born in an Afghan refugee camp in Peshawar and was a finalist in this year's National Book Awards in the States. And then I said we've got the complete run-up of all the non-fiction Booker, the, the Bailey Gifford. We've got a lot of early archaeology. And we have Rebecca Rag sites on Neanderthals and, and these early homonyms, which were not Homo sapiens. We've got David Wengro, on man's first attempt to build urban communities and and the agricultural revolution. Mm -hmm. But a big focus on Ukraine and Russia, with Luke Harding speaking from the front line. We've got Anthony Beaver, Orlando Figes, and Simon Sebag-Montefiore, three major historians of Russia and Ukraine speaking Mm -hmm. about that area. A lot on the British Empire and the slave trade and colonial Mm -hmm. looting. We've got Caroline Elkins, who won the Pulitzer Prize for her book Legacy of Violence. We've got Vincent Brown, Chris Manjapra, and David Oshoga on the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade, mm-hmm. Alex Renton on his slave owning ancestors, and Satnam Sanghera on the need to educate the British on their past, which they don't often know. We've got an amazing new superstar called Mariam Aslani, who's another Oxford don, speaking on the global crisis in agriculture and her book *Peasants* and how peasants have been squeezed out all over the world. And hmm. but also the fact that migration to cities is often exaggerated, and there's a huge world of peasant farmers that's still out there. Uh, and this is her—the rights to her book have just been bought by Brad Pitt, and we're very lucky to get her ahead of publication. Wow. I've right. mentioned and Sheldrake. We've also got Siddharth Mukherjee, the Book of Pulitzer winner and Padma Shri winner on the Song of the Cell. Hmm. Big focus on India-China relations. We've got Sham Shamsaran and General J.J. Singh speaking on the what hope or not for uh, China-India relations in the future which is a very important subject, much under... I think India constantly underrates the, the threat from China. They're constantly looking towards Pakistan. They're looking in the wrong way and often never understand the threat of growing Chinese military superpower status. A lot on women writers and women artists. For example, Miranda Seymour on Jane, Jean Rees, the, the amazing early Caribbean writer. Katie Hessel on unrecognized women artists. A lot of good travel writing. Edmund Duval on The Hair with the Amber Eyes. Anthony Satton on Nomads. Katie Hickman on America, Women of the, of the American Frontier, Anthony Satin on Nomads, and then we've got a lot on Partition, obviously 75 years, Anshu Malhotra, who hmm. recently featured an amazing big New Yorker article on Partition, Puri, and Anita Anand. Hmm. got the great Tom Holland of the Rest of History podcast coming to speak about how India was viewed from the West in the hmm. pre-colonial period, by the Romans and so on. So do you think with a lot of LitFest that's coming up, this could promote readers to buy books? The, the idea is that you perform literature in order to encourage people to read privately. Hmm. They're two different things. I mean, you know, not not everyone who writes well can perform well and not everyone who perform well can write well. But the idea is to get the sweet pot, those writers that can do both. Hmm. it's a sign of a very healthy literary and cultural world when you have this profusion of writers and this profusion of audiences i was at as i said calicut last week and the, you know the excitement was palpable there with there thousands of people crowding into every session hmm. and that's a good thing you know if people were not turning up at these things and they were they were all closing i'd be worried but the opposite is happening it's spreading and i'm very proud that you know one of the founders of jlf that we picked this off not just in india where there are now several hundred lit fest, as you say but also Nepal Bhutan Sri Lanka the golf yeah. festival Kathmandu the Maldives yeah so yes there's no question that to go to LitFest, fest you hear some writers speak you buy the books you buy the books and then you you know then you <laughs> come back the next year and that and it's a very good positive circle
0: right so uh, what are your thoughts on generative ai so we have this chat gpt and Quillbot. And I've read a couple of articles where I've seen that many writers are using it to
1: structure their story are plots they? and novels and dialogues. My prejudice is is that I'm not worried that, that this is always going to be something that's not actually that, you know, it's an amusing, interesting Thing that might help students write their essays but you're not going to write you're not you're not going to end up with war and peace written by a computer <laughs> i might be wrong you know who knows what, what the future lies in the android world but at the moment i think it's a thing of interest rather than a, a threat or a particularly significant i mean i've read a couple of those articles that ai has written and you know comprehensible but they're not there's no great literary flourishes so and i'm not worried about that but i think it's an interesting subject
0: Absolutely. So lit are generally, you know, just like how you're pointing out, mostly focused on English language. So what can we do to encourage
1: more regional languages to come up? Well, exactly what we do already, which is represent 30 of them at the festival. And I'm always surprised because this is not a world I know much about. But it's one that my co-director, Namita Gokhale, is very passionately involved in. And she's always arguing for quite big stages for writers I've never heard of from, you know, Nagaland or Imphal. Yeah. And she's very good at that. She's incredibly inclusive because so often these things can become an English language sort of love fest. And and the vast and important literatures of the other many languages of India get left out. They don't with us. Absolutely, Namita does mainly the... Indian programming, I do mainly the foreign. So we've got a lot of Dalit writers this year, and all sorts of other major Dalit writers coming. I think this year, 30 Mm -hmm. Indian languages represented from Naga and Arunachali through four or five different Rajasthani languages and poetries to Bengali, Marathi, Tamil and everything. And, And I have learned to go with her judgment on this because it's something that, Often draws surprisingly large audiences, or even larger audiences in many cases than than the obvious familiar names like Chhabda or mm. Balma or one of the kind of regular you know figures on the Indian lit fest circuit. Um, and that's because I think many people in India who are in the upper middle class, or the sort of people that would come to a literary festival, are. English, they work and they're educated in English. They have a vague guilt that they don't know Hindi as well as they should. Or, you know, they're yeah. Bengali, but they've never read a Bengali novel. Or they're Tamil, but they can't really read Tamil with e- as easily as they should do in order to enjoy a literary Tamil or a Sangam poem or something. Yeah. And so I've found that these sessions are extremely popular. True. Much more so than than someone with my set of prejudices coming from the English language world would imagine. There was one occasion I remember when early in the history of the festival, we had this guy Bunt Singh, who was a Dalit Punjabi poet who had the upper cast cut off his arms and even his legs, I think. This poor guy had to be carried onto the stage and he writes poetry and he is a activist poet, Dalit poet, outspoken. His session was packed. So I have learned to swallow any reservations I might have. And these are not things that are in the programme to tick a box or to, mm. or something we feel we have to do, we have them in the mm. programme because they're some of our most popular sessions. Hmm. Yeah. Even for languages which you wouldn't imagine anyone would speak in Jaipur. I mean, Hindi, obviously, and, and the various Rajasthani dialects you'd expect to have an audience for, but you wouldn't necessarily expect a Bengali session to be a hmm. huge hit in Jaipur, and they often are. Wow. I suspect it's because people feel they should know more about this, hmm. that they're stuck in an English-speaking bubble, and is an opportunity to explore beyond. So, thank you so
0: much for doing this, William. I really appreciate for your time. No, really, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Okay. Bye, bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm your host, Muhammad Rayan. Do consider supporting our journalism. We'll see you again in the next episode.